if I told you you were beautiful? Would you date me on the regular? Tell me what you Hey, welcome back to Postscript, the podcast about soccer analysis blogs. I'm John Muller, and this is Teotl Football. Hello. So what's going on, man? We, uh, we've we kind of restarted the, <laughs> the, the Postscript Apertura, as I call it, like the, the spring season after a yeah. little, little World Cup break. And uh, the way that we picked back up was with the fourth episode of our analytics mini arc, right? The kind of the OGs, the ancients of, of soccer data analysis. Yeah. But then we decided that we're going to take a little detour. That's right. So there's a ton, there's a ton more stuff on the analytics side to, does it, I mean, there's a ton more that's old and there's a ton more that's recent, but before we get too far ahead, right. There's this other strain of, of thought in the history of this, which is important. And we kind of felt like we got to, we had to jump over there, which is, tactics blog I, I i guess i need you to take me back to uh yeah. to like september when we decided we were going to do this why did we decide that we needed to write about or needed to talk about tactics blogging at all and why are we doing it right yeah now? yeah i think one of the original uh conceits of the project was this this idea that tactics blogging and analytics blogging which are often camps that are opposed to one another i think we referenced this in the first episode that they share uh, a similar origin story whatever is behind the the writing whatever is behind the analysis the game of soccer has there are insights surely that both of these camps are drawing at while there are many strains of soccer analytics we talked about the four let's can you remember what the four were it was like <laughs> it was like uh beating the bookies yeah, player recruitment. That was one of them. Uh, myth busting and solving soccer. And the solving soccer thing is like, that's probably why we're doing this podcast. While the other that's, stuff, is that's really the stuff we love for sure. Yeah, and 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 so I think tactics writing or tactics blogging, in theory, it is pulling at that column of that that fourth or whatever, whichever one it is, the solving soccer. That's right. Yeah. If, if the teleological end of analytics blogging is to eventually yeah. to solving soccer, and I don't know that it is, you know, like most right. sporting clubs is content to recruit players. Uh, but, but if that's where we're going, if that's where our bloggers at least are trying to get to, yeah, then they're trying to get essentially the same goals as the tactics bloggers, right? Uh, that's and, right. And when these two schools sprung up, these two like blogospheres, these two <laughs> circles of, of blogs sprung up around circa 2010, yeah, it looked kind of like parallel tracks, right? Uh, certainly yeah. they were reading each other, or at least we know that some of the early analytics bloggers were reading some of the early tactics bloggers. I don't know if it worked yeah. vice versa, but you know, there there was interest, but they weren't 
working together. And maybe that will change as we follow this story, you know, through the next decade. Yeah. But today we're, we're going to start before the blocks. We're going to start in that gray area, uh, the Finkelstein era, when newspapers were starting to go online, they were starting to publish maybe different types of columns than they had in like the purely print days. And we start to see kind of glimmers of the more analytical stuff that that you would get on blogs, right? Yeah, yeah, because I think most people, they go, they're sitting here going, oh God, these guys are going to talk about tactics now. Let's let's hear about the let's hear about Spielverlager and <laughs> we're gonna have to learn how to pronounce. How that do you say that? <laughs> I, I don't speak German, man. Or let's or they're thinking, here we go, here comes zonal marking, and that's not where you want to start, is it? No, I, and and obviously, like we're gonna talk about both of those blogs, which were yeah. hugely influential and like really important uh, blogs in just how we talk about soccer now. Yeah. Um, but but I feel like in order to get to those blogs, we need to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork about what was the the tactics writing world that they were coming into. Uh, Jonathan Wilson and Michael Cox at Zonal Marking, like these were kind of a paradigm shift for a lot of English language readers, uh, and and we're going to get to them pretty soon. Yeah. But before that, you know, round round about okay, so that was like 2010, that era. Yeah. So if we go kind of back one World Cup cycle to 2006, I was curious the other day, what did tactics writing look like at the 2006 World Cup? You know, uh, maybe I just wasn't Googling very well, but man, it was it was surprisingly slim pickings. What, you know, on the, on the New York Times, I think there was a, a tactical article. It was, it was complaining about some manager's tactics and the way they described the tactics were like Italy played defensively. Like yeah. that was that was tactics writing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was there was another one I think maybe on the BBC or something where the description of tactics was the manager made a substitution. Uh, and and I'm Which... not saying that playing defensively and making substitutions aren't part of tactics. Right. But if that is tactics writing, that's a pretty impoverished view of like how you can describe the mechanics of the game, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. You and and we well, we can put a pen in. You know, I, you and I fight about what tactics is uh, often. We should highlight that as a, a looming cloud over this entire tactics uh, path, which is what is it? And you bring up this very important thing, which is that early on tactics is described as a couple of things that we might, we might think of as inclusive of tactics, but not, but not what the blogs would become focused on. Yeah, but then I did find a couple things around the 2006 World Cup that sounded a little bit more like what we think of as tactics writing now. Um, there was on the, uh, I think on the BBC as well, there was a little you know, kind of thing about how France lined up and this player plays this position, but sometimes he comes inside, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, on Eurosport, there was one that was like, this team plays a 4-5-1, but in order to play a 4-5-1, you have to have this certain kind of center forward. I'm I'm not sure that I agree with that, uh, but it's it's an interesting kind of. I feel like because tactics writing wasn't as well developed in the English speaking world at that time, uh, or it just wasn't as prominent. Uh, you know, I'm sure that it had been well developed in other decades and other generations, but just at this 2006 World Cup, because there wasn't that much tactics writing going along, you could make just sweeping assertions like this. Like this is how this formation works. This is the type of player that you have to have in this spot for this entire formation to work. And like nowadays that would, that would sound crazy to me. I don't know. 
Yeah, but it but it should be it should be said that it would not be the most shocking thing in the world for tactics writing to start with a uh an unchallenged belief about the game followed mm -hmm. by a description of what happened in the game that backs that up, right? And in and that way it's there's there's an important difference too as we as we jump from analytics to tactics, which is I think or I would say analytics is this like method of inquiry, which is like here's some data I have, let's regress it or correlate it against things and see if we can learn about predicting this one thing and then but 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 without the knowledge of like exactly how that works or why, right? Mm -hmm. And tactics writing, especially if you're talking about starting with a proclamation like you need a forward that's like X, Y, or Z to play in a certain formation. It starts in some ways, it starts with the assertion that soccer has been solved in some small, maybe in some small way, followed by a, you know, a, a, I don't know, an, an analysis of a breakdown as to a story for why that might be the case. Yeah, might I think like the mode of inquiry for data analytics is closer to the scientific method, right? The mode of inquiry for tactics writing in its purest form is is philosophical, right? <laughs> we make yeah. this this bold theoretical claim about the world as we sort of understand it. Then we try to construct, you know, a, a series of propositions to support that, that theoretical claim. And, you know, maybe at some point we get to the factual level of like how the actual games play out, but because translating actual games into facts in the way that the tactics writers can use them is so difficult. I yeah. think that that's not the essential part, right? It's, it's yeah. okay to stay at a high level with tactics writing. Um, or at least that's how it had traditionally been done. Yeah, and if you saw if you write a tactics piece and then solve it all the way down with data, it's like holy shit! It, like that's a that's like a the end of a thing. That it, it's just it's just not always the it's not what determines it's not what defines tactics writing or determines whether whether it's a I don't know a, a successful yeah yeah and, and excursion right and and you don't need to get there for it to be interesting, which is the main point i think maybe of tactics yeah writing. yeah listeners we will struggle to fully articulate <laughs> all, the this on the tactic side because if if i was uh if i had figured it out there's some blog posts that i had promised years ago that would have been written by now that part <laughs> of this part of this project is to help us try to sort through this stuff so so it's it's good that we raised all these questions and all these difficulties up front because now we're going yeah. to get to our first tactics proto blogger, and you know to the extent that we think that we have answers about tactics right now in 2023, they mostly came from this proto blogger, uh, <laughs> named uh, Joseph Guardiola. He had recently retired. Yeah, he was not yet a coach. Uh, not even of Barcelona B, which he would do. Yeah, before I was just looking Barcelona. that up. So he wasn't at, he wasn't at. He was, yeah. he was not coaching. He was an unemployed bum who was writing newspaper about, about World Cup tactics because he didn't really have anything else going on. You know, he had just retired. Like, what do you do after you're a famous player who retires? Yeah. Uh, but he was, you know, a pretty famous bum. And so El País, which is the biggest newspaper in Spain, gave him column inches to say, you know, here's the World Cup. What are you seeing? Uh, how would you tell the story of these games, these teams, uh, to our readers? And the way that Pep Guardiola, newspaper columnist, tells the story of games is very interesting to me and is very different than the way that most people do it, I think. 
yeah, I'm excited about this. So I, I guess we should just dive right in because we've got a few columns that I'd like to, you know, kind of give people a sample of. Yeah. And I I don't even know how to frame this other than Wait, all you did you translate these? Uh, yeah, I did translate them. These are mostly my translations, so okay. they suck. Uh, it's just because I suck at Spanish. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I translated kind of the most interesting parts, not full text, because a lot of the yeah. full texts are what we would call gamers, right? They're just kind of a description of this team scored this goal, and you know, here's what it means for the for the narrative of the World Cup, and that kind of stuff to me has just a very short shelf life. I have no interest in reading a gamer from last week, let alone from 2006. Yeah. Uh, but in the middle of all these gamers, he always finds a thread. He finds sort of a tactical story and he weaves that into his gamers or he weaves his gamers into that so that the columns become something a little bit more interesting. And so I've exerted some of the interesting parts in order to talk about what he's doing here and how this is tactics writing, what kind of tactics writing it is, and uh, and and why it's different than at least what else I found from the 2006 World Cup. So the first the first column is uh, about England, and it's England's game against Paraguay, uh, which I could tell just from reading it, Pep was super bored uh, watching. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he does, like, he has an admiration for the English team, uh, which is really interesting because they're clearly not his kind of team, but he really appreciates what they are, what they do well. He's not wishing that they were a different team. He's appreciating the qualities that they have and how they make this particular team work. Um, so I'll, I'll just read this whole yeah. kind of section that I translated. So he starts off talking about Peter Crouch, which uh, is amazing. Possibly the least Pep Guardiola player that I could that I could think of. Uh, yeah. but he really he loves Peter Crouch. This is the uh, best. And he says, interestingly, one of the best virtues, one of his best virtues, is how he links play. He knows he's playing with ten others, and that he's not just there for the crosses that come to him from all over Germany. He knows how to give the game continuity. The thousands of times he receives the ball from the sky. We can start counting the moment he receives it. One, two, three, four, and he still has it. This way, which he makes seem so simple and so few forwards can and know how to do, he allows Terry, Rio Ferdinand, and their back line to arrive. And this brings Gerard and Lampard and their midfield line closer together. In this way, the eternal crouch the eternal crush, I love that. Eternal <laughs> crush manages to get his team to stay close to each other. If you have strikers who don't link with others, if you have strikers who think they're playing a different game from everyone else, you'll have a very, very stretched out team. England has crouch. It is uh, phenomenal. Isn't that just... Uh, or, or your translation is phenomenal, but that... <laughs> no, man, this is his writing. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, it's 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 beautifully written and beautifully observed, and yeah. it's already tactical in a very interesting way that you just don't get from a lot of kinds of writing. Um, and that is, you know, he's he's writing about one player, which yeah. all soccer writers do. He's describing Peter Crouch and how he plays and what makes him crouch, but he's also describing the effect that Crouch's style of play has on the entire team's shape, how it allows time for the midfield line to press up. Uh, and how it kind of dictates the way that England play. 
that they're not they're not a stretched out team simply because he's so effective at holding the ball. Yeah, so he's. It's hard to put this into into context in time, but he's not. Too, I mean, what he's not talking about is the formation, right? That's right. Although maybe he, maybe, well, maybe he talks about it. Yeah, he will. But but before he starts talking about team shapes and all that, he's yeah. talking about individual players, and the individual players affect the team style of play. Yeah, almost regardless of the formation, and so that's why he doesn't start with the formation. It's you can tell approach, right? Yeah, that's where his politics are. There's a foundational value, and uh, there's a some kind of principle here, which is that uh, it starts with like interdependence of players, right? He's going to talk about one player, but the like the almost the first thing he's he's going to talk about is how they're bringing the rest of the team in. And then he's going to talk about how that player manipulates the shape, perhaps the uh, the depth of the team, pull, yeah. pulls them together uh, in a way that would be, I guess, uh, a, a big risk for a, otherwise a big, tall... I mean, I'm just picturing Peter Crouch. <laughs> it's hard not to picture Peter Crouch. Well, I picture him on an island, you know, like, but he... But 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 Pep is like undoing that in my mind as I read yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So then there's a quick contrast with Paraguay, uh, and he says they were more English than England. <laughs> they played with apologies to Arsenal, the way English clubs play. The midfielders didn't once drop into the back for a backward pass for a square ball. I don't think the fullbacks did either. Everything, everything, everything was forward. So. You know, now we're getting the grand sweeping proclamations about how a country plays. Right. He's describing the English style of play. Well, but he's yeah, he's posting of, now, you know. He's posting. <laughs> he's proto-posting. Yeah, but, you know, Paraguay was more England than England is like, you know, that's that's your headline. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good athletic article. He's causing uh, he's causing uh, problems on purpose. That's the phrase. <laughs> I love the little apologies to Arsenal as well. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but here's where he brings it together. And he says, the match was very precise, very organized. Four defenders, four midfielders, and two forwards from England against four defenders, four midfielders, and two forwards from Paraguay. System against system. All predictable. All very predictable. Each line aligned, the forwards up front, forbidden to get between enemy lines. I repeat, all very precise, very organized. Luckily, there was the own goal. If not, everything would have been much more precise and more organized. Yeah, you can just imagine he's like smoking a cigarette watching this <laughs> match. I love how mad Pep Guardiola is that these teams were organized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see him. We've all seen him in these press conferences, you know, for years now, like talking about soccer and stuff. And I'm yeah. and it's, it, when you say this stuff, it's hard for me not to picture his voice and to watch him like, like just staring staring into space talking about how predictable the the match was yeah yeah i mean uh, you've, you've heard him describe a million teams that defended against his team in a tidy 4-4-2 in sort of yeah. this disdainful way but he says the two midfielders the double pivot never received a pass from their defenses and just a, a quick detour here because i'm i'm right now i'm just picturing uh the evolution of these pass maps that i looked at at the world cup and yeah. like you could totally see it one of the most striking things about the way that teams changed was that like 
teams didn't used to pass around their back line the way that they do now. It's it's very odd. Like the, you know, they they would have a shape that more or less corresponds to a modern shape, but they just didn't circulate. Uh, yeah, yeah, they didn't play. You saying the fullbacks played fully back? Is that what you're saying? And the... it's, it's it's not even that. It's like even if the fullbacks played back or they played forward, it was just like the center backs didn't pass to each other. You just don't see lines there. And the center yeah. backs probably didn't pass to the two def- two midfielders in front of them. It was just like, like he says, everything, everything, everything's forward, forward right? Thanks. So he says the two midfielders, the double pivot, never received a pass from their defenses. Not even once. The ball always passed over them. Some to Crouch, others to Valdez and Santa Cruz. Then due, the, due to the inevitable law of gravity, it fell to the ground. <laughs> Yes. And Gerard Beckham collected it there and they started to pass forward or if not, then they didn't. So here we get kind of, I guess the takeaway where we where we're coming back to what we learned about Crouch, right? He started by describing individual players and their qualities. Then yeah. he described the systems, which were very boring. Everybody's playing the, the exact same 4-4-2. But England is different because they have Crouch, because that allows the lines to push up. And then the ball now falls to Gerard or Beckham, uh, which instead is of just right? pinging. That's right. It's 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 not even though they're both playing the same game. That's forward. The center forward changes the style of of how the four four two operates. He doesn't change the law of gravity. No, he, the law <laughs> of gravity brings I mean, the he's ball. Like, he's like seven foot three or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see a slight gravitational difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then and then the last line. Uh, Pep says, maybe it would be good if teams didn't play the same way in every game, if they didn't play with the same system, neither on the tactics board nor in how it plays out. And the title of the column is All the Same. It's like a goddamn Ernest Hemingway short story. It's so fucking good, man. Yeah. It's so well written. It's like a clean, well-lighted place. It almost sounds like a manifesto. And when you read these columns together, they can definitely start to sound like Pep Guardiola laying the theoretical groundwork uh, for what he's going to do to soccer in the next 15 years. Yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm struck by how the, again, we're, you're highlighting this cause it's like before the tactics blogs it's, be, it's before inverting the pyramid. And it's even before we come to talk about Dickie Taka and positional play. Mm-hmm. And we, and we don't know about these Barcelona teams yet. Right, mm-hmm. they don't. They're the Pep Barcelona teams do not exist yet. Yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, the right guard years at, at Barcelona, and Pep yeah. is just an outside observer. He's going to talk about Barcelona in a minute, by the way, which is also interesting. You know, okay. like I said, but, if you read all this together, it sounds like a manifesto, and that's one way that we can read it. But I feel like it's more interesting for our purposes to read it as just a vision for what tactics writing could be and how it could work differently than just telling you know kind of sweeping stories about total football like he's he's getting into mechanics but he's doing it in a, a a very attentive way that works on sort of multiple levels and these are embedded within gamers right that's right they're embedded within gamers this is not a coaching seminar yeah there's not a single diagram in any it's not a white paper no yeah. it's there, he's he's not he's he's not talking about you know here is how a 442 works but he is talking about that right which is so rare uh you know he's he's talking about you know how a four four two works differently when the center backs pass to the central midfielders versus when they hit it over them, and how hitting it over them works differently when you have a, a center forward who's effective at holding the ball. So the the next column is about Spain, and I'm not going to read this entire thing, 
but I am going to read some parts that I think are indicative of just like the level of attention that he was managing to pack into his tactics writing here. Uh, and he says, when I went to Italy, he personally, when, when he played in Italy, my teammates told me that in Italy, you can't play a passing game because quite simply, there are fewer spaces. I never understood it. I've never played a 14 on 14 match. Yeah, never in two years there. Certain players' movements, depending on the others, that's why they call it a team sport, were wrong. That's why there were fewer spaces. I mean, when I saw this, uh, I jumped out of my chair on the 14 versus 14, because like, <laughs> this is one of the theoretical frameworks I use to explore, like, what should you do? I have this thing where I ask people, like, if you had the better players, would you rather play five on five or 14 on, or I would say 20 on 20 or something like that? Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. what it, so because because who is space valuable for i and i've always argued right you if you have the better players you want to go five on five because you want all the space and you want you don't want the um the muddling to happen right more players means more chance it means more bounce it means more things that aren't mm -hmm. uh some some imagination of meritocracy mm -hmm. so i love it he's i love that he he you can tell he has the same idea here because or, or these Italian players he's playing with do, because um, he's he's talking about in terms of like, well, no, like what what you're what you're referring to that there's no space that for that to need to be the case there would need to be uh, some ancient form of soccer where it was entire towns of people <laughs> kicking like a you know a liver around. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You can read about, read about this in the uh, streets of their medieval town. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what is possibly it? killing each other in the process. Yeah. But, but, but I think the Pep's I think the Pep's answer to this question is actually I think he rejects your binary of like if you have the better players uh, which which one do you want and he's saying well, that better tactics uh, are are the differentiator here. Well, but, yeah, Go but what I mean, he's just talked about Crouch, right? He's <laughs> he's right. talked about how there's a quality to this player that creates space for his, his team or constricts it for the opposing team or allows the ball to find its way to them. That's right. Well, I would imagine that when, when you, you're right when you say he's saying it's tactics here, but I, this is where there's the debate about what tactics is. is really important because Pep would have, he would have players that understand the game tactically, i.e. that's a player attribute. That's a skill that he's, you know, if he was a technical director, he would have scouted for and recruited for. Mm -hmm. It allows them to make the right movements. And then we can debate whether that's trained tactics or learned tactics or inherent ability or whatever that is. But but I agree with, I think I agree with what you're saying. All that, but but point taken on on uh, whether it's um, uh, a better ball control or or some other skill that might be tact tactical in nature. Yeah, I mean, now now we're getting into the fundamental thing that I think interests us both about tactics, yeah. which is uh, how much of it comes from player decision-making, how much of it comes from coaching instruction, how much of it comes from, you know, yeah. patterns that players develop between each other in training versus kind of spontaneous decisions on the pitch. And I, I don't think... You know, given given how attentive Guardiola is to the specific qualities of players and how they change yeah. the way that their team operates, he's and and given everything else that we know about Pep Guardiola over the last twenty years, like he's very clearly right. not a guy who thinks that 
you know, a, a coach is playing PlayStation and players are yep. just making uh, predetermined movements. And yet he's also the coach who has been probably more successful than anybody else uh, in my soccer watching lifetime at getting players to make predetermined movements in yes. the right ways at the right times in order to open up those spaces. So he is he's clearly helping players to understand the game in a way that helps them to make decisions on the pitch that create these spaces. Yeah, and I, I, I'm struck too here by, you can tell his perspective. His perspective is a ball perspective because he's saying, I've never played a 14 on 14. A, a bald perspective? Uh, no, <laughs> a ball on ball. <laughs> okay. like he's, yeah. he, he's thinking of it from the attacking sense because he's saying, he's saying, um, the the reason you don't see the passing game here is because someone's not doing it right, and he, mm -hmm. and what that what that implies is that is that the agency is in the team with the ball. He's saying there's not the right movement, certain player movements depending on the others. That's why they call it a team sport. He says we're wrong. He's saying there's the wrong player movements that's not allowing for the passing game to develop. But I think well, so you said you said on ball here, but. Really, well, in possession is the term that you want. Uh, yeah, because I think that a lot of tactics writing can, and and certainly a lot of analytics thought as well, can be specifically on ball. That it's thinking yeah. about what is the player with the ball doing. He's not thinking about that. He's thinking no, about no, no, no. how are Shit, all yeah. the other players moving in order to create spaces for that player on the ball. Exactly. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. And that, yeah, thank you for clarifying. Because if anyone needs to be more precise about that, it's me with my my on ball off ball uh, politics. But but. For sure, he's thinking about it in possession. He's saying, you don't have passing games here because you guys don't know how to move off the ball. You guys don't know how to move as a team. You don't know when the, when and where, how to create space. But I think you could you could imagine the Italian players, Serie A players that he's talking to going, no, 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 Pep. Tactics is on the other side too. Mm -hmm. we, we, know how to, we know how to constrict space. We know how to make it seem like it's 14 on 14. And all your precious movements, et cetera. And we also know how to, you know, break the leg, perhaps. Or, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, but yeah, the, the I love that. Like if, if you're going to think about tactics, you can think of it fundamentally from a defensive perspective or from a, a, an yeah. attacking perspective. And clearly, as part of Te Pep's implicit manifesto here, he thinks Early about on. for the team in possession. He wants to be in possession and he wants to get yeah. how to construct the game in that way. We can see where his cards are for sure. Yeah, uh, because in in some ways they are the tactical protagonist. Uh, but but I also agree with you that it's easier to uh, stay organized as the defensive team, which means it's easier to impose your tactics on the game as the defensive team. Yeah. Um. Any anyway, we could go on <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read just another section a little bit below this. Yeah. Uh. He says, "We've seen that Spain plays with three forwards." The three are not very positional. They rarely stay in place. A lot of movement, a lot of coming inside so that Sergio Ramos and Pernilla, Spain's fullbacks, uh, push up. The one meter, and he's been talking about one meter in, in a section that we didn't read. The one meter is in knowing when they should come to the center, the forwards. If they come too early, they create a space problem and they push Xavi, Senna, Sesc, that is the, the three central midfielders back and they put themselves at the same level as Xabi Alonso. It's fine for the forwards to come to receive, but they have to do it a little later. Seeing it during the game is really hard. If they do it right, it'll allow Xavi, Sesc, Senna, and Yesta during the buildup to receive behind the opposing midfielders. 
and there these players are so so good i i can only read that in pep's voice they're so so good (laughs) (laughs) that they don't need a meter to see everything half a meter is enough for them and when this happens instead of being pushed back by their forwards they'll push their attackers forward and if one of them is raul you push him into his natural habitat the box the place where he's the greatest yeah. So, you know, we talked about how attentive he is to like the micro mechanics of the game. And I love that here he's he's getting super granular into whether a player needs half a meter or a meter of space. He's talking about uh, team shape mechanics, how a forward dropping uh, affects the midfielders. He's talking about timing, how when a forward drops affects whether the midfielders are effective or not. And he's talking about specific players' qualities, that it makes sense uh, for Raul to stay in the box, that it makes sense for uh Javi and Sesk to work between the lines that sort of thing yeah this is like fucking incredible because uh he's you're right he's talking about these micro things and the the real risk when you start talking about micro things and tactics is that you lose the um the counterweights to those those trade-offs right Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. one real problem is you talk about this thing and then you you zero on you say well this is why this other thing this is why a goal happened or it didn't happen and you can you, we know that Pep's like insane uh, about this, and he sees the whole the whole, right? And he focuses on. You can imagine him writing this and getting caught up in like a circle and wanting to. He's he jumps to like the. I mean, it, it works towards his goal of of expressing what happens to the whole when these very specific things mm-hmm. he wants you to see uh, are taking place. But you can imagine him like having to self-edit because he because he he almost jots down the cause and effect and the trade-off of every single one of these things and works his way around like all 22 players mm-hmm. i can imagine him doing that and then uh either an editor or himself editing going no actually now i'm gonna miracle this into like five sentences of perfect prose which is mm-hmm. really frustrating for me to read that's it's so fucking good uh but you know one very tempting and easy way to do tactics writing as you said is to take the goal, to work backwards, to describe the mechanics of what happened leading up to the goal. And everyone is always satisfied with that because the goals are the only part of the game that they remember. And they yep. love when you show them the mechanics of how that that play happened. But what he's describing here isn't quite that, although it also is that because Raul did score a goal. So this becomes relevant to the larger match narrative yep. uh, and makes it a probably a successful newspaper column. But what makes it a good tactics writing column is that he's describing processes sort of regardless of outcomes right the way that these players work together the timing of those movements would be relevant to whether spain was effective or not whether or not raul wound up scoring a goal right yeah and when the my favorite sentence is what does he say this is very hard to see Mm. when you're watching the game hard to to see while you're playing the game yeah yeah. or yeah like because that is the that's like one of the most important things you can say about tactics too it's like that it's hard to to see this stuff you're right what he says is seeing it during the game is really hard and that's agnostic as to whether it's the players on the pitch or the coach or the you know newspaper columnist up in the press box i i think we talked about one sentence in a sarah rudd blog early on in, in one of our early episodes yeah it's something like i find it incredibly hard to watch all 22 players and the ball at the same time so my observations right. are not complete that's what she says yeah i know i i thought about that that, that uh, fundamental what, humility that Sarah showed, Pep Guardiola is also showing. And I think that anybody yeah. who really cares about understanding the game starts from that place of, I cannot see and know everything 
uh, and that happens in a game. And yet, I can still construct a manifesto. Uh, and and the next yeah. column that <laughs> yeah that we read is kind of the most manifesto-ish, I guess. Uh, it's one that I love. Uh, here he's talking about Mexico because he's just kind of going around the World Cup, watching different teams, writing about how they play. He had recently come back from Mexico uh, from playing for a team in, in Liga Mekis. And uh, Ricardo La Volpe was the coach, an Argentine coach of the Mexican national team at that time. And he had been really impressed uh, during his time in Mexico by what he knew about La Volpe and uh, the way that his teams built from the back. And he writes this long, beautiful column about how the defenders went out with the play like lovers uh, rather rather than starting yeah. the play like England did, like Paraguay did. We saw, you know, the defenders just booting it up the pitch. Mexico actually built up and he was fascinated by the mechanics of how Mexico built up. And I don't think that we get as much mechanics talk in this particular column, but just the idea of building up and why it's important uh, is something that he felt was worth highlighting when he wrote about the Mexican team. And I'm just going to read a couple excerpted sentences here. Uh, but when he's describing Lavolpe coaching uh, his Mexican center backs, you know, he says Lavolpe will essentially like pause the training session or he'll like kind of kick everybody else out and he'll just work with the center backs and the ball for like half an hour. And they'll do it over and over again for 30 minutes in training. And at the slightest mistake in a pass, we're not widening the pitch by stretching it like a rubber band from sideline to sideline or not playing with the goalkeeper when they should. I repeat, at the slightest mistake, start over. Stop, correct, yell, and start over. Am I, am I right in saying, like, I've watched videos of Pep doing this, you know, subsequently? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you watch any Pep training session, like, right, like he's, the ball he's moves, he stops. On, he's stopping, he's correcting, like, you know, the, the slight the body pose. That was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's correcting, you know, a meter of positioning, a half meter of positioning. Like, he's, yeah. all those details are the things that fascinate him. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe other coaches were coaching that way, but I think that if they were coaching that way, it probably was not for how do we incorporate the goalkeeper with the center backs and move the ball from sideline to sideline in our own half as we build up slowly. Right. It it would have been on the defensive side, probably like mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Sachi or something like, like, you know, blowing the whistle because the, the imaginary ball has moved over here and now everyone reposition yourselves and the block. Yeah. with the press or the or whatever to constrict space so it's not it's I, the tactics at the time were almost surely more defensive even barcelona was not uh building up as dogmatically i guess as it sounds like uh la volpe was yeah they were, they were not as obsessed with the positioning uh of of the center backs of how we move the ball out of our own half and so this is something that pep perks up at and you know, we know obviously going forward, this is going to be a huge part of how he helps to change the way that top European teams play. But but he and he effortlessly references like another principal thing, right? Of of stretching the pitch like a rubber band. Mm -hmm. Like he he in like three words, he tells the reader like what the why is, like why the why the coach is is getting over the on top of these guys and stopping them and correcting the slightest mistakes. It's like for this one thing, yeah. right? Uh, not widening the pitch by stretching like her band from sideline to sideline or not not getting the timing right, et cetera. Which which clearly right. wasn't a principle of these other World Cup teams that he's already described. Um, and we know yeah. why they played the way that they did to get the ball to crouch quickly so they could push the midfield line up. Now we know yeah. why Mexico plays the way that they do. 
stretching the ball sideline to sideline. And actually, I think this sentence that I'm about to read is where Pep gives us the why. He says, I remember one day listening to Johan Cruyff. He said that the most important players for good possession play are their defenders. If you build up well, you can arrive well. If you don't, it's hopeless. So this is a similar concept, I think, to when he was talking about why Crouch is so important. Uh, yeah. You know, it's the, the way that England plays is, is crude, clearly, in his eyes. Uh, but it's effective because Crouch does the same sort of thing where he turns their direct play into a sort of buildup that allows the team to arrive together. But Lavope is more systematically allowing his team to arrive in the opponent's half together. And that's what I think Pep is, is in love with here. And he identifies how either of these tactics fails it would crouch with the it fails if you let gravity take place uh too early uh and the other team wins the ball back instead crouch is able to hold it for a second and here he says if you don't build up well when you arrive it is hopeless talk you know that's manifesto language a little bit but but yes yeah, i think it's i think it's cool that he says both things right yeah and, you know, and there's a yeah, risk he's, he's identifying risks in all these systems right yeah. The risk uh, in England system is that if you don't have a Peter Crouch, you just get too stretched out and your team never connects with itself. Uh, the risk in Spain system is that you, if you have your forwards dropping off too early or at the wrong time, it pushes the midfield back uh, and your team shape is all messed up and, and you're just not going to be able to arrive. Here, if your defenders aren't carefully coached for half an hour every training session, just how to get out of their own half, yeah. uh, they're not circulating the ball from sideline to sideline, if they're not passing back to the goalkeeper when they need to, well, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble because number one, you're not going to arrive together in the attacking half. But number two, yep. you're incurring huge risks trying to play this way. Yep. And that's what he addresses here uh, in this last section. He says, the Mexicans living on the edge like this with their defenders know the risk that they run. Losing possession where they play can be terrible. Yeah. But they're not the only ones who know this. Everyone knows this. That's why everyone avoids playing like the Mexicans. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, because rubber bands do snap. <laughs> they uh, do, yes. And uh, and and that's I don't know if you, I mean I don't know if this is you structuring these posts, but I love that. I mean that sentence ties together all of the other gamers, right? Because mm -hmm. he's talking about like why you know England plays the way they do and why Paraguay plays the way they do, mm -hmm. and and he identifies how bad this could be if it goes wrong, and he says this is what they do, and then this is why you don't see it. Um, yeah, and, and all of these team styles are in some ways dictated by the qualities of their players. England, yeah. I think, play the way they do because they have Crouch and Jar and Lampard. Uh, and, and Spain play the way that they do because they have all these incredible midfielders. But Mexico, interestingly, I think this is the one where he's not calling out specific qualities of players. He's just in love with the tactical concept. Uh, and, and he seems to believe that with the right kind of coaching, you can sort of get any sort of players to understand how to build up. It's not like he's saying um, this becomes overpowered if you do it correctly. He's just saying like, this is beautiful if you do it correctly. And if you don't, it breaks. I mean, and he's, he's, and he's falling in love with it. And, and yeah, he's and literally romantic. He's using a romantic metaphor of these lovers going out with the ball uh, in order yeah. to describe this. And yeah, he's, he's not saying that the way that Mexico is playing is superior He's yeah. saying that they incur huge risks and there's a reason why everybody else doesn't play this way. But yeah. he, he loves the risks that they're running. But, and he does seem to think, and he, he even cites Cruyff's sort of implicit approval here. Yeah, that, that's right. That these risks are worth taking. 
yeah, this one, he's like, everyone watching the World Cup, please, for the love of God, watch Mexico, because I can't stop watching them. And, and I don't want to fucking watch Paraguay anymore. You, <laughs> and, under, and understand how hard it is to do what they're doing without it completely blowing up. And so when it does blow up sometimes, also give them, give them a break, probably. Yeah. yeah, but we talked about this this sort of tension or this balance between tactics coming from players, tactics from coming from coaches, and most of the tactics writing that he's given us so far was about players' qualities Player quality, yeah. as much as it was about systems and, and movements. And this one is abstracting the players out of it and focusing on the risks and why they're worth it. Yeah. But I want to read this last post in full uh, just because this is where we get uh, closest to a manifesto and it's just, it's, it's beautiful, it's fun, and it, he's writing about Barcelona. This is after the World Cup now. I don't remember exactly when it was, maybe early 2007. So before he had taken over the first team, for sure. I think before he had taken over the B team, um, but but after the World Cup. Yeah. He says, maybe I'm wrong, but here's what I see. They like to organize themselves through the ball. They attack and defend with the ball, and they understand that it cannot be that the ball is there and we're here the ball upfield, and the rest of us down low. They believe that instead of moving to the ball, it will reach them where they are. They feel that the attackers need a good ball from the midfielders in order to be successful and appear in the papers. And the midfielders, to do that, need a good ball from their defenders. I pass it to you, and you pass it to them. Honolginho knows that he is better with Eto, and Eto knows that he's better with Honolginho. They have their things, but together they are better than alone. They insist on knowing where the free man is at all times, and they know that it's better for the free man to be Iniesta than a winger. They know that Javi and Iniesta are compatible, and why the hell wouldn't they be? I assume this is like responding to some polemic that was very relevant in 2007, but it's hard. <laughs> people were like, well, you think he's, Javi you think it's a post, okay. Yeah. He's subtweeting. <laughs> so Pep, Pep puts a, a stake in the ground that actually Javi and Iniesta, they, they might be good together. He knew. Yeah, why the hell wouldn't they be? Okay, I, I was wondering that when I read it. I was like, damn, Pep, settle down. <laughs> he says, they understand, like in any good team sport, that when you start on the right, it's better to finish on the left, and that a backward pass doesn't mean fear, but the start of another better move. They feel that the chance will come, and that possession by itself is nothing but a way to get to the goal. But it's better for the wingers that the ball comes to them from the middle than from the sides. And then if the three little ones play, that's Deco, Javi, and Iniesta, like in Zaragoza, the young players have to deal with controlling and building the play, and Deco with finishing it. They feel that if we have to play with three at the back, we'll play with three, but all three have to have the legs of Oluer and Puyol. And they also know that they have the best player in the world, or almost, and the best scorer in the world, or almost. And that if we talk about knowing how to play football, not deciding games, not playing to make plays, I repeat, knowing football, we have the two best midfielders in the world. But they also know that all these bests, or almost bests, might be worthless in some other environment. They know, or that's what they feel, or at least that's what I think. Yeah. That uh, ties... I mean, it's so hard to read it in its own context. Of, yeah, of the time. It's, it's I can't. It's just for it's impossible. Who's watched, who's watched Pep's career to go back and read this and not just be like, and this is he was telling us he was calling his shots. 
this is fitting because we do this on the analytics side and then the previous four episodes, right? Sometimes I think we take a breath and remark at like how amazing it is that a thing we're reading was being written in 2011 on some mm -hmm. random blog, right? Yeah. And then you read this here and it's just before it's just before everything and so it's just like totally wild so i want to get that out of the way and just talk about how anachronistic it seems you know i i feel like it's not worth dwelling on what kind of writing this is because we've talked about how pep does tactics writing and this is that but maybe just a little bit more uh passionate because now he's writing about his team and a little bit more you know he's, rhythmic. He's, he's projecting onto these players what they believe but really he's kind of stating his own beliefs um what i want to focus on instead is just two sentences in the middle of this um, because I think that they are good examples of how tactics writing can inform analytics writing. Yeah. We've talked about in our first four episodes, this idea of possession value models, uh, both in the abstract when Howard was kind of describing how this thing should work and ultimately in practice when Sarah designs uh, this Markov chain model that she submits to Nessus and eventually gets her hired uh, by Arsenal. And these these models are goal probability models, and at least in the form that we've seen them so far, they're kind of ball progression models. Like when you move the ball from a zone farther back to a zone yep. farther forward, uh, on average, a team is going to go on to score more often from the zones that are closer to goal, and that's basically what they're measuring. Sarah also had some measures of sort of defensive disorganization, but those were pretty simple stuff. So ultimately you're, you're saying like, did this action help move the ball to an area closer to goal where the team is more likely to score? If that's kind of what we took to be, if that's what we took to be the end goal of soccer analytics, then we would not agree with some of the statements that Pep makes in this call. Yeah, And that doesn't mean that, you know, the models are wrong or Pep is right or, or vice versa, but but Pep is making some claims here that I think are responding to what he sees in the way that the game works. And if you were an attentive analytics uh, writer or uh, somebody working with soccer data, building these kinds of models, and you read this column, you might be inspired to think, wait a second, is my model capturing the game the way that it actually works? And so two of the sentences that he, that he says here are, number one, a backward pass doesn't mean fear but the start of another better move. If you have a, a ball progression model, uh, yeah. it's going to tell you that a backward pass does mean fear, or at least it should well, because it's it decreased your goal scoring. That's yeah. right. It's moving it into an area where your team is now less likely to score than they were before. And I think that if we watch the game, we know that's not always true. Right. And, and that's what Pep is talking about here. But the reason that Pep is talking about it here is that, that sort of intuitive claim wasn't necessarily obvious to everybody in the way that they were building their game models. That if you were in England or Paraguay, you were saying, I'm not going to take those risks. Yeah. I'm not even going to take the risk of playing a little way forward to my midfielders. I'm going to play yeah. way forward to Peter Crouch, let everybody else catch up. And that's just the best way to balance the risks and the rewards, rewards inherent in the game. He's saying, that I can play like uh, Mexico, I can take these risks at the back, and when things get hairy, uh, that's the right time for me to play back to my goalkeeper, which a ball progression PV model is going to hate. It's going to tell you like your your risk of going on to score from the ball being at your goalkeeper's feet is very very low, and your risk of turning it over and you know creating a, a goal for the other team is very high, 
and yeah. just fucked up by passing the ball back to your goalkeeper. Well, yeah, the the models will tell you that. And then, I mean, this is, uh, you know, Daryl Morey, I think, at uh, one of the conferences. He's like, why would you pass the ball backwards, right? This yeah. is a, you know, he he's without without um, maybe he had a possession value model, but but even just a mental model there, he's saying so many mistakes back there. There's an edge here in the probabilities to just move with the ball forward. That's right. Uh, and for anybody who's listening to this who doesn't know, Daryl Morey is a basketball executive uh, who's famous in sports analytics circles, in part because he helped uh, basketball kind of get rid of some inefficiencies in the game. So he's the kind of guy who thinks about sports in terms of probabilities. He's looking at soccer and he's saying, look, if you send the ball back to your goalkeeper, you are doing that. You're incurring more risk. Like the, the probability of you playing it forward again is just the, the math doesn't work out. And I don't know if that's true in soccer, or at least I don't know if it's true all the time. And yeah. certainly Pep went on to prove his point by playing exactly the way that he's talking about right now. You that's know, right. A lot of good teams for a very long time and making it work and making those risks uh, be worthwhile. But I don't think that that proves Maury wrong either. That's right. Well, and and the, and this this very recent 2019 you know proclamation I'm talking about is assuredly in response to to a decade plus of what would happen after this pep article. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, more, the, more the reason he's saying he was, he was ranting yeah. about like why 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 are we so obsessed with Guardiola teams play that way because yeah. they're the players who are so good that they can afford to play through the pressure when they send it back to the goalkeeper. But why does everybody else look at that and be like, well, if it works for Pep Guardiola's teams, then this must be the optimal way to play soccer. And we should all try to play like, like Guardiola's yeah. teams. Yeah. And this is, this is a, this, that sentence and the, this other one you'll read is, is begging for the linkage between analytics and tactics as well. Right. Right. Exactly. Take these provocative statements that don't necessarily line up with early models and see if you can develop better models or see if you can use existing models to, you know, to test these claims, you know, he's going to test them on the, on the training ground. He's going to test them in games, but yeah. like our, our, our tools that are supposedly gathering the facts of the game, are they capturing the way that the game actually works? Or is he pointing us to a better understanding of the game that, uh, that analytics ought to be responding to. And there's one more example here that I want also highlighted where he says that it's better for the wingers, that the ball comes to them from the middle than from the sides. Yeah, and I like that one just because so much of, of just data analytics work is about the X, Y's of where events happened. Uh, if yeah. it's not about that, and, you know, at first it's just about counting, you know, right. when we receive this many passes, that doesn't tell you anything about where they received it from. But also like this winger, you know, got the ball here in this zone of the pitch this many times. That also doesn't tell you whether the ball came to them from the middle or from the sides. And yeah. here saying, you know, when, when you talk about a winger receiving the ball, if it comes to them from the middle, they have an open body shape. They have a good view of the pitch. Uh, they can choose to drive up the sideline or they can cut inside or they can play an immediate pass. Uh, if it's coming to them up the sideline, you know, that is like from a fullback, right? Straight up the sideline yeah. the winger, they're dropping to the ball. They almost always have a defender on their back. They're under pressure. They can't turn. They can't see the pitch. Uh, and so he's saying like there are enormous differences in the value of that situation even though the winger is receiving a ball at the same X, Y location, depending on where that ball came from. And in addition to those very real um, uh, changes to what the player is experiencing when they receive it, th there is also, I would say, you know, if I'm reading this from the analytics side, the fact that the ball came from the pitch 
has implications about other things about where all, where other players are. This is like a blind data analytics view. Coming from the middle of the pitch means something has opened up necessarily. Someone has been pulled in mm -hmm. um, that, that could otherwise help where the player is receiving the ball now, a defender being pulled in, I mean. Right, if a midfielder um, is passing it out to the winger from the middle, yeah. the defense is necessarily contracted into the middle to stop the midfielder from going straight to goal. If the ball is coming up the sideline, the defense yeah. is probably pushed over toward that sideline and is trapping the ball against that sideline. Now, yeah. this sentence stood out to me because when we talked about uh, Sarah Rudd's early possession value model, one of the characteristics of that model was that the Markov chains don't care how the ball got there. Like mm -hmm. she, she highlights this in her presentation. Path dependency or not, right? That's that's right. So there's there is information in the model about sort of is the defense disorganized or not, but there's no information in the model about which zone the ball came from or when or how. You know, it's it's as long as the ball is there, yeah. it's exactly the same value as every other ball in that same game state. And Pep is really challenging that, or at least he's saying you're going to literally, yeah, you're going to have to have a lot of a lot more information in your model about what constitutes a game state uh, if you're going to really capture the value of this situation. Yeah, I, I that one that one is has is all sorts of analytics bells and whistles going off in, in my brain when I read it. Yeah, and, uh, and and I also just love it because he just says it. I mean, you know, he could go on for an hour and explain that. You know, as attentive as he is to all these details, he's able to use a kind of shorthand in here that i'm curious how much sense it made to his readers uh yeah when you when you make this very short opaque statement like it's better for the ball to arrive to the wingers from the middle than from the sides does everyone immediately picture what he's talking about do they immediately understand the risks and and, and trade-offs involved and and you know how defenses are moving can they all picture that or do we really kind of need yeah uh, 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 do we need diagrams? Do we need, you know, a detailed description of how these mechanics work before readers are going to catch up with the way that a coach's brain is is seeing this game? Yeah, and, and just for us reading this now in 2023, does this look perfect in a very, um, you know, like novel literature sort of way because we've read and consumed or written, in your case, like written, post after post, article after article of the sort of tactic stuff, which we will get to, that is not this, but that includes diagrams, that includes uh, terminology defined and explained and German words and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm so envious. I wish that I could write about tactics this elegantly. Yeah. I feel in some ways like I would be doing readers a disservice if I did, that... I, oh, I might not be sort of conveying the richness of the game in the way that uh, that that it feels to me like he is doing here. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe I'm just not giving my readers enough credit. Maybe uh, if if I gave them or his liners like Pep does, everybody would picture the way that the game actually works. Yeah. Or, or maybe we need the diagrams. And I and I feel like I keep coming back to these diagrams because I think that they're kind of fundamental to. Uh, what tactics blogging is going to become part of the thing that we're going to respond to in these blogs that we see is that yeah. they are trying to really show us uh, the minutia of the game. Uh, they're trying to give new names to sort of the ways that particular positions move and work differently. They're trying to build out a, a new vocabulary uh, for how to talk about tactics that didn't really exist before. 
And all those things are going to help uh, to think about the mechanics of the game in a much more detailed way than we did before. And Pep is just sort of saying, you know, this is, you're, you're already in grad school. You should know all that yeah. stuff. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lay out these pronouncements and you should understand why this is the way that it is. And I just don't know if you can do that without the tactics blogs that we're going to talk about next. Yeah. Well, and, and when you read um, Ulysses or something, the uh, curriculum will, will require you to like read a bunch of other stuff to understand what the fuck he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that, that struck me just now as you're explaining this about Pep here. Yeah. Like I, I read this and it looks like damn perfect at times. And uh, it could be because he's, well, first of all, it could be because he's, he's Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. in 2023. And, uh, but also because we've come to consume a ton of this. And, and it could also be, I think that it's worth driving this point home. It could also be because his readers were not the readers of the blogs that we're going to talk about, uh, that Spain may have had yeah. a better tradition of tactical writing than the stuff that I was finding on Eurosport or whatever, that readers might have been better acquainted with the mechanics of the game and had a richer vocabulary for talking yeah. about things like this. Uh, and so he was able to speak to them in this more elegant way, whereas if English tactics writing is at this sort of primitive place where we're talking about, you know, uh, tactics is the Italians played defensively tactics, substitutions, is the coach made a sub, then you're going to have to do a whole lot of work before you can start writing this kind of column and your readers are going to understand what you're talking about. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. That's why I'm really excited to talk about these tactics blogs uh, and, and other tactics writers that we're going to cover in the next couple of weeks, because this is where we start to build in the popular English media, this uh, shared understanding of the mechanics of the game uh, that are going to hopefully, you know, eventually catch us up with where Pep's at. And this curiosity of the game, I would launch, will launch not only tactics fans, but analytics fans That's right. as well. And, and we're right. going to come back to this and we're going to talk about how analytics writers, uh, people working with soccer data, were reading this stuff and were formulating questions off the back of it. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll eventually see how those things come together. Uh, but that's where our story is going to go from here. And next week, we will talk about uh, two of the big ones, Jonathan Wilson and Michael Cox. I remember those guys. <laughs> I still read them. I love them. Still around. All right. Looking forward to it. Read all the pamphlets. See you.